Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hi friends, I'm Michael Kingswood, and it's story time. It is Saturday, which means it's story Saturday. <laughs> we're getting back into the swing of things here, uh, as we talked about last week. So, uh, this week we are going to be obviously commencing another story. Uh, this week's story is a sci-fi novelette called Delphinus. I have decided to split it up into two parts, because otherwise this entire podcast would take over an hour and i want to keep it to about 30 minutes as best as i can so that is uh what we're going to do today uh we're going to cover the first part this week and next week will be the second part after next week uh uncertain how story time is going to work for the rest of the month because as i think i mentioned it before i'm flying out of town across the country on the 17th going to help my friend bring his sailboat uh down the east coast uh, it'll be a, take a couple of weeks to do that, so there will be <laughs> a limited uh, ability to record you know, this sort of pre-recorded and edited for audio quality and other things podcast during that time. We'll probably put up videos and pictures from uh, from the trip on my various video channels, just so you guys can be jealous. Uh, but during from uh, the second half of this month until. So from the 17th of this month until first weekend in November, I'm going to be out of pocket. So uh, don't count on anything for a couple of weeks there. Just your fair warning. At least I'm not being a slacker. <laughs> at, least, at least I have a better excuse than being a slacker. Uh, anyway, so uh, other things that are cool is today, as I'm recording this on Tuesday, uh, we just released Kickstarter for... 52 stories in 2023 volume four which those of you who know this channel know this is my ongoing project for the year writing at least a story a week in addition to everything else i do uh, and collection those into bundles as you know those collections have previously been kickstarted successfully volume one's done volume two is done volume three is done and so we're doing volume four now all the stories are written uh, so it's just a matter of funding and making things awesome at this point. So that is uh, on underway. MichaelKingswood.com slash do in 23 v4. We'll get you to the campaign page if you haven't already gone there. Uh, go check it out. Back it. Tell your friends. More backers are better because it makes more money. And it means more people get to enjoy these great stories and show support to an independent writer, which is awesome. Okay, so let's get to the story for this week. Uh, I wrote this several years ago. Geez, probably almost 10 years ago now. Um, it, but it's me, which means it's great, and you'll like it. So sit back and enjoy. I'll talk to you on the other end. Wind rushed past, ruffling his hair and roaring in his ears as Piter banked to the right. The instruments on the control console showed what he already knew. Altitude was decreasing rapidly, and there were no landing strip beacons within reception range. Not that he expected there to be any. 
As far as he knew, this particular world had never been colonized. He, and the huddled passengers behind him in the cargo compartment, was damned lucky the place even had a breathable atmosphere, so he wasn't about to complain. Except about the fact that the cussed cloud cover refused to break. 2,000 meters to the ground and still there was nothing to see but pea soup in front of him, or to either side. A fine mess they were in. Just a couple hours ago, the cruise was everything he could have wanted for his honeymoon, a veritable paradise of spectacular stellar phenomenon, as the SS Hildurand assumed orbit at the Lagrange point between Gamma Delphinus 6 and its third moon. The aurora there were legendary, among the most beautiful ever encountered, and the Hildebrand's bridal suites had specifically designed observation bubbles just for such an event. Making love with his new bride beneath the awesome display was everything they'd both dreamed it would be, and then it all went to hell. What happened to cripple the Hildurand, Piter still couldn't say, but once the alarm started sounding, there had been a mad rush for the escape pods. The gravity field became erratic, making Stampede all the more chaotic, and he found himself, along with his bride and five others, watching helplessly as the last pod launched away from the ship. The pod was nowhere near full, but the panicked people on board had been unwilling to wait even the minute longer it would have taken Piter and the others to get there. Alone except for those others on a deserted vessel that was moving faster and faster into a death spiral around that third moon, Piter forced himself to bite back tears of frustration and despair, if only as a comfort to Shawnee. Then one of the other men suggested they try the cargo bays, and the group hurried further aft. In the third bay, they found a small loading shuttle and crammed in. The only one with any flight experience, Piter was the logical choice to fly the thing. But 25 hours of flight training in a suborbital wing jet does not translate well into space flight. Once Piter got the shuttle out of the cargo bay and away from the Hildurand, it was almost as though he had no control whatsoever. He knew roll, pitch, and yaw, not orbital mechanics. After several moments fighting with the controls, he finally discovered a computer autopilot feature and activated it. Things became much easier then. He found the controls to the sensor suite and keyed in a scan, then was unable to bite back a curse as the results came back. The third and fourth moons had atmospheres, but while the fourth's atmosphere was breathable, the third was little more than methane. The shuttle had just enough fuel to make it to the fourth moon, but that wasn't what evoked his curse. The escape pods from the Hildurand, programmed only to head to the nearest landing area, were all descending onto the third moon and its deadly fumes. My god, can't they override the programming? asked one of the other refugees, a plump older lady with a kind smile, when Piter announced his discovery. I don't think so, he replied, a lump in his throat, as he watched, helplessly. One by one, the escape pods vanished into the moon's cloudy atmosphere, and Piter found himself thanking his lucky stars that they'd been delayed by the gravity distortions. He at once felt a twinge of guilt at that thought, but suppressed it. What else should he be thinking? What else could he think? Shawnee was sitting in the co-pilot seat next to him. Tears in her eyes, she took his hand and squeezed it tight. Then a large explosion aboard the Helderand split the great ship into thirds, reminding Piter that there was still work to do. Refusing to think of the thousands of people who had just plunged to their doom on board devices that were supposed to save their lives, he turned his attention to the controls and keyed in what he hoped would be a course to the fourth moon. Taking a deep breath, he hit the execute button, then settled back to wait. To his amazed relief, over the next several minutes, the fourth moon got larger in the windshield. The computer beeped. Piter tapped the controls and a dialogue window opened. 
Three minutes to re-entry, he announced, after reading the data on the display screen. Immediately, the tension within the shuttle rose. They had all been through re-entry before, but always on larger space jets piloted by professionals. This was an altogether different experience. As the timer ticked down, Piter could feel the fear emanating from the others. As the one who was more or less in command at the moment, he tried his best to look calm. Glancing to his right, he could tell from the concern on her face that Shawnee wasn't fooled. He gave her hand another squeeze, and she managed a thin, tense grin. Here we go, Piter murmured under his breath as the countdown timer reached zero. Gradually, he felt the G's begin to build up from friction with the moon's atmosphere. A multi-hued cloud of plasma grew until it completely filled the windshield. The acceleration became greater. He heard the passengers groaning and knew he was joining them. It was much more intense than on any space jet he had ever been aboard. The ordeal went on for several minutes more. Then the acceleration began to subside and with it the plasma cloud. When Piter was finally able to push himself forward in the pilot's chair, the radar altimeter read 8,000 meters, though all that was visible was white-gray interior of a cloud. He took the controls again, switching off the computer guidance, and grimaced as the shuttle bucked through a pocket of turbulence. Looks like we're through the worst of it, he announced, and heard a half-hearted cheer from those in the rear. Of course, they knew as well as he did that their troubles were far from over. He glanced at the altimeter again, 4,000 meters, still nothing to see but the cloud. Suddenly, a large black object appeared directly ahead. Piter had barely time to register webbed wings, talons, and a gaping maw before the shuttle struck the beast, whatever it was. The port side of the shuttle's nose buckled completely, and the windshield cracked open. Hardened plastic shards sprayed back into the cockpit, and the shuttle tumbled into a stomach-turning spin almost completely out of control. The roaring wind, sudden cold, screams for the passengers, and the shock from the impact rendered Piter unable to react for several seconds. He had only had the most basic instruction on stall and spin recovery in his training so far. Trying hard not to panic, he did what he remembered his instructor telling him to. Reduce engine power. That had taken care of itself. The engine indicators were all dead. The collision must have knocked it out. Worry about that later. Roll controls to neutral. Apply yaw in the opposite direction of the spin. Nose down. The altimeter continued to tick down rapidly. Not much time left, but slowly the spin began to subside. Finally, at 2,500 meters, Piter was able to return the shuttle to straight and level flight, or as close as he could get to it. And so, a few minutes later, he found himself banking to avoid what looked from radar returns like a large mountain range a few kilometers ahead, descending on a steep glide slope with no engine, and wondering when the hell the clouds were going to let up. 1,500 meters, still no divisibility. 1,200. Then Shawnee exclaimed, look, and pointed off to the right. Or at least he thought that's what she said. It was almost impossible to hear anything, aside from the wind noise. He followed her extended finger with his gaze and felt his spirits buoy considerably. Through a break in the clouds, he could see trees, or at least the alien equivalent. Piter banked right again, and the clouds thinned noticeably. Then, a few seconds later, the shuttle slipped below the cloud ceiling, and he beheld the world. Ahead, he could see rolling, forest-covered hills a thousand meters below. Off to the left, there was not a mountain range, but an escarpment that stretched as far as he could see in either direction and rose up into the clouds. To the right, the hills continued for a few kilometers before appearing to smooth out, and was that a lake off in the distance? Piter turned toward the lake, hoping to get as close to a water supply as possible before they landed. Another glance at the altimeter, 500 meters. He needed to find a clearing or something, but there was nothing close enough to do any good. He breathed a curse under his breath. 
Hold on tight, everyone, Piter shouted. Easing the nose up to reduce the shuttle's airspeed, he looked around one last time for a better place to put down. With nothing readily apparent, he tightened the straps on the seat, then looked over at Shawnee and attempted a reassuring smile. The initial impact with the forest canopy sent Piter surging forward straight against the seat straps. He felt an additional impact as somebody crashed into the back of his seat, then the shuttle struck something else and rolled to the right. Another even more jarring impact came a half second later, completely shattering the windshield and sending the shuttle rebounding in a totally different direction. Screams of fear and pain issued from the passengers behind, then he felt another impact and the seat straps tore out. Piter saw stars for a second as his forehead struck the control panel, and then it all went black. He had no idea how much time passed when he woke up, but it was still light outside so it couldn't have been too long. As he opened his eyes, all he could see was an amorphous blob directly ahead. He heard something as well, but it was unintelligible. He thought he groaned, though he couldn't be sure. He blinked his eyes a few times and the blob slowly resolved into Shawnee's face. Concern etched into her sweet features. She was leaning over him. Her lips moved and he realized that the sound he was hearing was her voice. What was she saying? Move. That made more sense. Obediently, he tried to sit up and she pushed him back down again, shaking her head, but not before a wave of nausea swept over him. He almost retched, but was able to suppress the urge. I said, don't try to move. Piter intended to nod, but instead found himself drifting off into unconsciousness again. When he awoke next, it was dark out, though the flickering of a nearby fire provided some illumination and warmth. The side of his body closest to the flame was somewhat comfortable, but the other, the night was extremely chilly. Suppressing a shiver, Piter raised his hand to look around, inwardly grimacing in anticipation of the expected nausea. But nausea didn't come to accompany his headache, a small mercy that he appreciated more than he would have thought. Emboldened, he propped himself up on his elbows and looked around. The scene around the fire was one of misery and controlled despair. Opposite where he lay, Piter could see the hulk of their shuttle. It was battered, barely recognizable for what it was, and unusable. Two people lay side by side next to the carcass of the shuttle. He thought they were asleep for a moment, then he realized their chests weren't moving. He recognized the old lady with a kind smile. The elder corpse was a young man, barely more than a boy, with sandy hair and a face that could have been handsome or ugly. It was hard to tell, since his face was completely caved in. He must have slammed head first into something. With a shudder, Piter looked away from the corpses. A quarter of the way around the fire, his gaze found his wife. Shawnee stood talking with another man, older than both she and Piter by a good ten years. The man was tall, with dark brown hair that was streaked with gray in several places, and a strong face. His bearing was that of a man who knew his own worth, and that it was great. Piter took him in at a glance, but he only had eyes for Shawnee. He chuckled inwardly at the cliché for a heartbeat, but the amusement at his own thoughts faded as he fully took in her condition. She looked like hell. Her left eye was black, as though she'd been in a fistfight. Her right shoulder was also bruised, and that arm was in a makeshift sling. Her pants were torn, and he saw a scabbed-over cut on her thigh, but she stood straight and tall, or as tall as her 1 meter 55 frame could manage. Shawnee, he called, or rather he tried to. All that came out was a hoarse grunt, barely audible even to his own ears. He tried again and managed something that was at least loud enough to carry, if not entirely comprehensible. Shawnee and the man with her looked over. Her eyes widened in surprise, then she smiled, a broad grin of joy and relief, as she hurried around the fire to his side. 
She caught him in a fierce embrace. As always, he was surprised by the strength in her small limbs. And as always, he found himself a bit aroused by it. That was awkward considering the circumstances, but still more than a little pleasant. I was so worried about you, she said into his ear, punctuating her words with a kiss on his cheek. I'm okay, he replied. His voice was beginning to come back. He actually understood what he was trying to say. Apparently Shawnee did as well because she gave him another squeeze, then helped him sit up. Squatting back on her heels, she gestured toward the man she'd been talking with. Piter, this is Stanley Fromier. Piter blinked in surprise and looked at the man more closely. Holy cow. Now that she'd said his name, Piter recognized him from the Hollowvids. He was one of the most famous actors in the business. Hell, he just won the best actor for his role in The American King. It's, it's an honor to meet you, Piter managed, trying not to sound too much like a pathetic fan man. Stanley burst out laughing and took Piter's hand in a solid grip. You saved my life, brother. I think I'm honored to meet you. Piter looked from Stanley to the destroyed shuttle to the dead bodies next to it. They wouldn't agree with you. Stanley and Shawnee looked over at the bodies as well. Shawnee frowned, her eyes returning to him with an expression of compassion and shared pain. Stanley, on the other hand, shrugged. His gaze as he looked back at Piter was direct. No one could have set that shuttle down in this force smoothly. Hell, we should all be dead. But we're not, and that's due to you. When we get back, I'll thank you properly, but for now, thanks. Really. Part of Piter's mind told him he shouldn't feel good about the job he'd done, but for whatever reason, Stanley's words evoked a warm glow in his chest, and Piter smiled with a certain pride of accomplishment. Thanks, Mr. Fromier. Call me Stan. A thought occurred to Piter. There were two others. They left a few hours ago to find water, Shawnee offered. From the lake we saw in the air? She nodded. That was several kilometers away. They said that's why they should head out as soon as possible. I told them they should wait until you woke up so we could all go together, but they wouldn't listen. They took bearings off the shuttle's instruments and headed out. Piter frowned. It would be very easy to get lost in those woods. Wait, what did she just said? Do you mean there's still power in the shuttle? Shawnee nodded. Piter's spirits rose. Then the rescue could still find us. We needed to turn on the emergency beacon. He tried to push himself up from his sitting position, but Shawnee prevented him from standing. Already done. After the other two took their bearings, we turned on the beacon and powered down everything else. So stop worrying. We got it all covered. Piter's stomach growled, but there was no food. The shuttle had contained precious little in the way of emergency supplies, just a small first aid kit, a pack of five flares, emergency breathing equipment, and some life jackets. Shawnee and Stan had already used one of the flares to get the fire going, so there was little to do but settle in for the night. Shawnee suggested, and Piter and Stan agreed, that they should keep a watch throughout the night, not just to keep the fire going, but also in case the others returned and needed help. But by morning, there was no sign of them. On the bright side, Piter was feeling much better. He'd had the first watch, but after that, the remainder of the night's rest had done wonders for his head. Gingerly at first, and then with increasing confidence, he stood up and walked around the campsite. In the morning light, he was able to make out details that were hidden in the night. The shuttle was crushed against the base of a tree. The trees were mammoth, trunks almost two meters in diameter, standing at least a hundred meters tall and topped by short branches with long, wavy leaves. Several trees had been felled over a span of a few hundred meters. A few more were leaning over, bearing large gouges in their trunks. The shuttle's final descent had covered more distance than Piter realized. Looking around at that direction, he was amazed any of them had survived the crash at all. He and Stan spent several hours exploring the area around the camp, leaving Shawnee to tend the fire. There was little undergrowth, but despite that, they never saw any sign of animal life. 
However, in a small clearing maybe half a kilometer from the camp, they found several bushes that were heavily laden with berries. Caution stopped Piter from immediately eating his fill. How could they know if the berries were edible or not? Thinking about it more broadly, would they be able to safely eat anything at all on this world? Despite their being able to breathe the air, the life here could be very different chemically from humans. For that matter, was there even water in that lake, or was it some mix of toxic chemicals? Maybe the others hadn't returned yet because they'd found out the hard way. Piter got a sinking feeling in his belly. How long would the rescue take? Maybe they'd survived a mercifully quick death in the crash, only to slowly succumb to starvation and thirst. In the end, he and Stan decided to leave the berries. Upon returning to the camp, they found Shawnee engaged in conversation with a man and a woman that Piter recognized from the Hildurand. They were both grubby and looked exhausted, with several visible cuts and bruises, but they seemed in fair health, all things considered. You made it, Stan remarked as he and Piter approached. Any luck? The man, of medium height, with balding black hair atop a round, chubby head, gestured to the side where a makeshift bucket lay filled with water, or what looked like water. Not so hard getting there, but it was mostly uphill walking back. The lake looks clean enough, though. Water's tasty. Piter looked at him askance. You drank it? Did you boil it first, at least? The man looked confused and shook his head. Should I have? Piter waved the question off and lugged the bucket over to the fire. It was too late to worry about it now, at least for them. The pair introduced themselves as Ben and Shirley, a married couple from Centauri, who booked their cruise as a second honeymoon. Piter halfway expected them to take ill, who knew what sorts of bacteria or other bugs lived in the water on this world, but as the day wore on and dusk set in, they showed no signs of difficulties, so Piter began to think he was worrying too much. At least they had water now, however limited a supply. That was something to celebrate. As they made preparations for the night, it struck Piter that daylight seemed to last a long time. A glance at his chronometer, set for a standard 24-hour Earth day, confirmed it. Not that he should have been surprised. The odds of this moon having a rotation rate anything close to Earth's were minuscule at best. But it was still a bit disconcerting to be bone-weary before full dark. But sleep would have to wait a bit longer. The two bodies were starting to smell, and it wouldn't do to keep them nearby for much longer. Besides possibly attracting animals, there was also the worry of disease. So the men dug a small pit about 50 meters away from the camp proper, using makeshift tools from the shuttle scraps. Then Stan and Piter dragged the bodies over. Ben offered to help, but half-heartedly. The revulsion on his face was plain, and he actually looked a little bit green. So they waved him away and managed on their own. Before settling in for the night, Piter went into the shuttle and switched on the instrument panel. By the indications, the beacon was still transmitting, but for how much longer? With a sigh, he powered the panel down and stepped back outside. There was nothing much to do but hope. Besides, those beacon transmissions contained their coordinates, so it wasn't like the beacon had to be on continuously for someone to find them. All the same, as he lay down next to Shawnee, he felt a surge of despair. His last thought before drifting off to sleep was certainty that they were all going to die there. An ear-piercing, guttural roar woke Piter from a deep sleep. He sat bolt upright and saw that the others had done the same. What the hell was that? Stan asked. Ben, who had the watch, was standing off to the side, peering out into the woods beyond the circle of firelight. There's something moving around out there, he said. No kidding, Shawnee muttered softly, so that only Piter could hear. He smirked, giving her a wink in reply. Another roar wiped the smirk from Piter's face. Whatever that thing was, it was getting closer. Then a second roar, halfway around the campfire from the first, drew every eye in that direction. 
Two of them, muttered Stan, his voice quavering as his eyes darted quickly from side to side. He inched closer to the fire, then slowly crouched and withdrew a large stick from the blaze. Burning brand in hand, he looked a little bit less afraid. Piter couldn't blame him. The two creatures got closer still until Piter could hear their footsteps and raspy breathing as they circled around the fire. A couple of times he thought he caught a glimpse of one of them at the extreme edge of the firelight, but it was gone quickly. Finally, the two creatures stopped moving over by the grave the men dug earlier. The roars became a series of snuffles, growls, and barks, and Piter could hear a rapid, scuffling sound. He gulped. They're digging up the bodies. Shawnee, pressing closer to him, and her eyes wide with fright, shuddered. The scuffling sound stopped after a few moments, and one of the creatures let out a longer, higher-pitched roar. It was answered after a short moment by a number of lower-pitched barks and roars from every direction. Piter tried to count how many, but he lost track at fifteen. The new creatures quickly drew nearer, their vocalizations becoming louder by the second. Piter bumped into something, and he looked to his right to see Shirley standing close at his side. Stan was standing just as close on her other side. Without even realizing it, the small group had backed up into a cluster as close to the fire as they could. Only Ben remained apart from the rest of them, out closer to the edge of the firelight, where he had been keeping watch. The creatures converged on the grave site, and it quickly became obvious from the sounds that some of the creatures were fighting each other for the meat. Barks and growls, shrieks of what Piter could only assume was frustration or pain, snapping noises. It became quite a cacophony for several long minutes. Then, silence. Ben, come back to the fire, hissed Shirley. Ben gave a start, as though he had lost track of where he was until Shirley spoke. Then he turned around a sheepish expression on his face and took a step back toward the group next to the fire. Something big and black leapt from the shadows beyond the firelight and landed on Ben's back. Piter heard himself crying out in shock, echoing the others around him as clawed limbs dug into Ben's shoulders. Ben stumbled forward, screaming in a mixture of surprise and pain. He grasped at the claws, trying in vain to dislodge them, and fell to his knees. A head with a long muzzle and sharp teeth appeared over Ben's shoulder and bit into the side of his neck. He cried out again and grabbed at it. Then, heaving his torso forward, he pulled the creature by the head, dislodging it from himself and hurling it toward Piter and the others. They all dove out of the way to the side and the creature bounced past them and into the fire. It screamed as the flames ignited its flesh and squirmed and thrashed wildly. Piter pushed himself backwards away from the burning beast. He watched, horrified and fascinated, as the creature kicked out its last breath, scattering the burning wood in the process. Pushing himself back to his feet, Piter turned toward Ben and saw him resting on his hands and knees, breath coming in quick heaves. Shirley was at his side, concern etched on her face and tears streaming from her eyes as she grabbed him in a fierce embrace, heedless of the blood seeping from his wounds and staining her clothes. Stan and Shawnee were on their feet as well, wearing stunned and terrified expressions that Piter knew he mirrored. What the f- Stan's words caught in his throat as more shadowy creatures became visible around the camp. Oh shit, he breathed. Piter grabbed the burning stick, tossed from the fire by the creatures thrashing near his feet. Brandishing it like a club, he turned around and saw more shapes on the other side of the camp as well. Frantic, he looked to the side and saw more shapes. They were trapped. The light from the fire dissipated now as the fuel had been scattered was dimming rapidly. The crouching creatures advanced steadily as the circle of firelight grew smaller. From all sides, Piter could hear raspy breathing. He could all but see salivating tongues licking over the creature's teeth in anticipation of the kill. The shuttle! 
Shawnee's exclamation made Piter's head whip around toward the mangled remains of the spacecraft. She was already moving toward it, and Piter instantly understood. High ground. Keep out of their reach. The others caught on just as Piter had. Shirley and Stan hauled Ben to his feet and began moving toward the shuttle as Shawnee hauled herself atop the hulk. Piter hurried to catch up. A roar from the side drew his eye and his heart sank. A creature, larger than the others, was advancing toward them. He shouted and waved his stick at the creature. It growled, but recoiled from the flames. Piter backpedaled quickly, bumping into the others in his haste to put distance between himself and the creature. He heard Stan curse at the impact, and they all fell to the ground. In the confusion of tangled arms and legs, it took what felt like an eternity for Piter to regain his feet. He found himself looking into the large creature's gaping maw. Screaming a terrified denial, Piter leapt backwards. His back struck the side of the shuttle with a solid thud, sending pain lancing through him as something dug into his lower back near his left kidney. Ahead of him, Stan and Shirley were only just getting to their feet and Ben was still on his knees. The larger creature lunged forward, its teeth sinking into the flesh of Ben's ankle. He screamed, pain and terror contorting his features as the creature pulled him backwards, away from the shuttle. Shirley screamed a throaty denial and grasped at Ben's hands, but the creature pulled him from her clutches and she fell to the ground. Stan charged forward, striking the creature with his own burning stick. It hit the creature on the head solidly, snapping the stick in two. The creature recoiled, dropping Ben's leg as the flames and the impact drove it back. But two more smaller creatures darted in, jaws snapping at Stam, who had to leap backwards to avoid being bitten. They almost had him regardless, but Piter pushed himself off the side of the shuttle, biting back the agony of his protesting back, and again laid about with his burning stick. Help me, cried Ben, his voice pitched high in agony and mortal terror, as the larger creature, out of Piter's reach again, bit him in the leg. Piter watched helplessly for a moment as Ben, his fingers digging ruts in the earth as he desperately scrabbled at the dirt to try to arrest his movements, was dragged further and further away. But then it was all Piter could do to keep the two smaller creatures away from himself. Frantically striking first right, then left, he found himself backing up inexorably, barely managing to keep from being bitten. His back struck the side of the shuttle again. It flashed through his head that this was the end. And then he was being lifted off his feet. Hands grabbing him under the armpits from above lifted him up toward the roof of the shuttle an instant before the creatures leapt at him again. He felt a tug on his boot and looked down to see one of the creatures dangling from it by its teeth for a moment. Then it lost its grip, and Stan and Shawnee hauled him the rest of the way up. Shirley was up there as well. Her eyes were wide, her jaw slack in an expression of mind-numbed horror and inconsolable pain. Below, Ben thrashed desperately, his screams becoming more and more shrill. The larger creature dropped him, not far from where the first creature's corpse lay, and backed away. The smaller creatures started in. Stan grabbed Shirley by the shoulders and forced her head into his chest. Clutching her close, Piter heard him say, don't look, into her ear. Then Ben's screams and pleas turned into a long, drawn-out shriek of utmost agony as he was completely covered by the smaller creatures. Ben's death cry seemed to last forever before it finally ended in a pathetic gurgle and the sickening crunch of jaws snapping against bone. Piter's stomach heaved, and he found himself retching, long heaves that brought up nothing from his empty stomach. It only lasted for a moment, but it felt like forever before the heaves subsided. When he'd gotten control again, he slid over and held Shawnee close. She was weeping, and he realized that he was as well. 
to be continued next week. Kind of a dark way to end it, but that seems like the best way. First, it's about halfway through the story. Second of all, end on a downer. Finish on an upper or a real downer. We'll find out next week. Uh, if you liked this story, definitely come back and <laughs> finish it up. But between now and then, why don't you go buy it, right? Or buy some of my other books. Best place to do that is at microkingswood.com slash store. That goes directly to my company's uh, web store, and you can get uh, all of my books in any format you want for the most part. Uh, there's a couple that the audiobooks are up elsewhere that aren't up there yet, I think. Actually, the only audiobook that's not there yet that's up elsewhere is Stories from the Great Challenge, which is the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. It was uh, on previous story times here for the last year. We were doing, reading the stories from all those. I finally got it. I finally. It took a little bit of time to compile all the all the recordings that I used over the year uh, and get them all bundled up. But it is out there now. Uh, the audiobook of Stories from the Great Challenge it's not up on Audible yet, but you can find it on Apple, and you can find it on Kobo and a few other places where great audiobooks are sold. And you'll shortly find it on the uh, my company page as well. So go if you liked all these readings. It's like more than 20 hours of short fiction from the last year. So you can go check that out. That'll be awesome. Um, that'll be up on michaelkingswood.com slash store shortly. It's currently up on the other retailers. Uh, which you can get to through michaelkingswood.com slash books to read, the number two. Uh, that will take you to a handy-dandy universal book aggregator site thing where you can click on an individual title and it will take you to show you links of all the different stores you can go to to find it. And uh, you can pick your favorite store. That's the way to go. Um, well, it's not the way to go. The best way to go is to come directly to mikekingswood.com slash store. But if you can't bring yourself to do that, the other retailers are fine. I just get less money that way. Okay, uh, what else is going on? Oh, yeah, we mentioned the Kickstarter. Make sure you go back to Kickstarter. It is live now. It's off to uh, uh, to a start. <laughs> I mean, I've gotten a few backers in as I record this. Uh, more are going to swing in in the next few hours as people get off work and get their other things done generally get a good reception from the at the start of these things so uh anticipate we will fund meet the first funding goal pretty quick and as we usually do and then move on to stretch goals uh stretch goals are fun i like meeting stretch goals and you should like it too so come by check out the campaign back it and then tell all your buddies so they can back it too so i can get more money and they can read fun stories it's a win-win for everybody isn't that great what else to talk about i think that's about it so if you've enjoyed this uh this session of story saturday make sure you've liked the video or the podcast uh where you're at make sure that you're subscribed to the various feeds wherever you found it and come back next week for more story time we will complete the delphinus and uh we'll go from there also check out uh keep an eye out on my various uh, youtube and rumble and odyssey and bitshoot channels not bitshoot because you can't live stream to that but uh rumble and odyssey and uh other channels uh i'm gonna be doing periodic live streams through the next uh, couple weeks as we proceed on in the campaign um so that'll be fun just to check up on how kickstarter is treating us 
And yeah, that's about it. So hey, uh, thanks for joining in. I will talk to you next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on all my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.